welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. So welcome to another Diff Trailblazer podcast. And today joining me is Martin Reynolds. And Martin is the CEO of Simply Biz Mortgages, amongst other things. He has been knocking around in the industry for a long time. He's worked on the lender side. He's had a number of different roles in marketing, product development, credit underwriting, claims management. And I think I first met him very drunk on a BM Jolly on a bus 25 years ago. He was very drunk. I was completely sober, obviously. But joining us is Sydney Wager. So Sydney, what's your job and how did you get to your job? What is your journey? So yes, Sydney Wager, and I am head of market development for the intermediary business in Barclays. So for me, that's a very long and grand job title, but it really is about working and facing off to the brokers within the external intermediary mortgage market, looking at journey and really managing those relationships for the good of all. So I have been in role for, I think, about six years now. And actually, my first day was a very fateful day at the Senate at uh, Brooklyn's Hotel, where I think, Barrett, you were one of the first people I actually met. So that was uh, interesting. And in terms of my career journey, so it's always quite interesting whenever I'm asked about career journey, because I've been at Barclays for a number of years and have come through the graduate and talent development programs in my formative and early years and to, to where I am today. And I think I've kind of very deliberately chosen a path that has meandered through the organization. And I use meandered loosely because it doesn't mean I've wandered around headlessly, but I have very deliberately chosen to move across functions, which is quite unusual. So I've worked in frontline retail elements. I've worked in strategic marketing. I've worked in our card business. I've worked in the corporate business and more latterly in the mortgage business. And actually, I think that what that's done is it's really given me that really specific customer focus, but it's meant that I'm able to actually understand how you strategically manage, deliver tactical solutions into our customer base to ensure that we meet the expectations of all, whether that's customers, colleagues, um, shareholders alike. I've always, I guess in the last sort of 15 odd years or more, I've probably led pretty big and large scale businesses. And the intermediary business that I'm in today is a massive business for us in the UK retail bank. It really is a significant part of that organization. So it really is high impact. And I always call it a high octane business because no two days are necessarily the same. And I think we find ourselves in a really interesting space to make sure that we get the balance right. Indeed. And we'll get round to discussing first time I saw you. But before we get to that, 
I just want to ask you what hurdles, if any, and, and I completely understand that quite often that don't have to be any, have you come across in your journey because you're black? That's an interesting question. And I think the use of the word hurdles always means obstacles. And I think a lot of this is, has changed over the years, right? So for me, do I see over hurdles? Do I see obstacles? Well, no, in, in, in an organisation like Barclays, and I suspect any organisation of this kind of size and reputation, life has to be about being a meritocracy, right? It genuinely has to be. And if there's anything overt that is unfair, there are the right mechanisms to deal with that. And I think, I think that's the first thing to say. And I think that's incredibly important. And I think now most organizations and Barclays included have come out with absolute zero tolerance to racism or anything that is shades of. So that in itself is comforting. But I guess when we talk about hurdles, for me, I think there are two elements to that. I think there are some personal hurdles I suspect people will set themselves as well. And I'm probably not dissimilar, right? So I think given my background, I'm of West African heritage. I think that culturally, it's always been ingrained to work harder, work faster, do more, be the best version of yourself. And actually, when I sit back and think about it, that's an incredible pressure to put on anybody. But I think equally, what that does is it, it puts a lens on everything that for me was about somebody needed to stop me from doing and getting where I wanted to get to, as opposed to going headlong thinking, I'm not going to get there. So there's probably a bit of a mindset challenge there, but that is actually an incredible um, challenge to set yourself. And I've got, and I must admit now being a father, I'm probably trying not to do that with my children because I think I'm not sure that that's always as helpful as you'd imagine it would be. But of course, the, our parents and parents of my generation or my parents' generation sacrificed so much. It was so incredibly important that their children did better than they did and were able to set up a platform for their families going forward, etc. So I think that's the first thing I would say. The second thing would be, and I think this is the one that's become more relevant and probably more prevalent now, it's maybe not so much about hurdles, but I think everybody has become more aware of, I guess, the unconscious bias that could exist. And so I think there the, it's an unconscious bias, it's a microaggression element that we need to be more cognizant of and be more mindful of, because I don't think it's necessarily about overt. But And I think they're the kind of things I think we need to think about if we talk about hurdles, because I think we all have unconscious bias. But it's a filter that you apply to your thinking that really genuinely helps you get through that and over that. And I think that's as individuals and as organisations. I would say that one of the biggest hurdles for me, other than, I guess, some of the ones I've set myself, just referring back to the, the message I gave earlier on about moving and traversing across the organisation, actually moving from head office strategic type roles into frontline leadership roles, for example, there's always a perception of a lack of transferability of those skill sets rather than maybe an ethnicity or diversity challenge. But I do think that those sort of things are, I think there are, it's always two to three pronged. It's never a single or one thing. And I do think that it's a combination of things that you need to work through. And that's great. And I do think you're, you're absolutely right, Cindy. I don't think there, in certainly the corporate structures, there isn't any overt racism but I can't move away from what I felt and I you know, would love to hear Martin's view but when I first saw you at the Senate you were the first black person at the Senate and you were the only one there so this was a leadership event with the most senior intermediary people from the lender side and the intermediary leaders from the distribution side and you're the only black person there and I'm only there because we're putting it on and I'm chairing it 
So were you shocked too, Martin, to see Sydney? Not in a bad way, not saying, what on earth are you doing there? But just shocked. Yeah, I think you're right. I think shocked may be too strong a word, but surprised, yeah. And it was, who is this? I, I remember seeing you in the car park as I pulled up. I think you'd pulled up just at the same time. So it was, who's this new person entering our industry, so to speak? Yeah, and I think you're right. And I think we, we look now and... I think we still haven't moved far enough. There's still probably only three, four people of brown and black colour who are still at the Senate now. And on that point, we live in a world where all the corporates are doing the best they can to make sure that they are not in any way biased and overtly racist. But we still have a situation where there's not enough diversity at the senior level of the industry. So what can we do to address that? So I know we've talked about always employing in your own image, even if that's not your ethnicity and heritage, but your background and education and disposition. How do we challenge those things? Do you have any views on that, Sydney? I have a lot of views on that. That's a conundrum that I suspect many are struggling with, and it's not necessarily just unique to this industry, right, for a start. And I think the recruitment in our own image is incredibly important. And that's where I talk about things like unconscious bias, because I think whether you choose to do it deliberately or not, there will just be people that you think are like-minded and get it in the way you do. And actually, people recruit for a number of reasons, either to fill a gap or a skill set they don't have, recruiting your own image, et cetera, et cetera. There are lots of reasons. But I think this is where we all need to start from a different lens. And that lens for me is about curiosity and understanding. Because the business case for diversity is actually that with that diversity comes a different strain of thought. It comes with someone from a different background. If you stick 15 people in a room all from the same or similar background, it's interesting that they're less likely to come up with a different solution given that they all have a similar train of thought. Right. If you're thinking about sustainability in any business market, whatever it may be, if your client base and your customer base is changing, their demographic is changing, but the decision makers within your company or wherever you exist are not changing, how are you even going to keep pace? So it's that diversity that genuinely keeps you current and future proofs your business. Because it's a combination of that sort that, in my view, and, and listen, I say it's in my view, you can go and read the Boston Consulting Group, McKinsey's, they all talk about the commercial value of diversity. And for me, we all need to start to be curious enough to understand what that looks like in our immediate sphere. Does that mean we, we fish in terms of recruitment in different ponds? Does it mean that we look at the way in which we recruit and we look at the diversity of the slates? We do some genuine deep dives into the attractiveness of our businesses, of our industry. We look at the talent progression of ethnic groups through those industries. We genuinely kind of lift the drains up and not be afraid to do that. Because when I say curiosity, I think with that curiosity comes some fear because it's a difficult subject. But actually, not talking about it is probably the worst thing we can continue to do rather than put it on the table and deal with it in the way that you would deal with any other business challenge, because that's genuinely what it is. And I think there are a number of spin-offs in terms of initiatives you can use from reverse mentoring to all sorts of things you can genuinely do to start to address that imbalance. We can develop that later. I just want Martin's view on it. So I know, Martin, that Simply Biz support a number of your DAs to be members 
members of the Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum, which is a great thing to do. And their contribution is really good and worthwhile and they bring a different perspective. But what do you have to say to Sydney? What kind of things do you think we need to do to create diversity in leadership? I think sometimes with too short termism, I think we react rather than plan sometimes as industries, not just ours, as Sydney said, elsewhere. I think we're too quick to look straight away into our own industry. And I think sometimes if somebody leaves and we're looking to re-recruit that role, that becomes that I've got a gap, I need to fill it quick so that there's no planning about it. It's somebody's leaving, we need to fill that gap. So I don't think we invest enough time maybe in that process. So maybe, you know, we should be not looking when there's a gap or an opportunity. We should always be looking and taking that time to maybe look outside the industry to find people that we might not have that job for yet, but we've identified people that we want to talk to so that when those jobs are around, we've actually got maybe five or six people that we already want to interview across many diverse areas. I think the challenge we have is is that short-termism of we need to fill that. And and I think sometimes we may consciously or unconsciously maybe go, well, actually, we, we do need to widen the diversity in a team, in, in a company. And we just take from within the industry. So we're not actually growing that diversity within the industry. People are just moving around within the industry. And I think that's the bit that we need to try and break that cycle. It's the bit that says the first time you advertise for a job you ask for experience if you want a bdm you say you've got to have been a bdm and the minute you do that i think you're closing the door to anybody new so i I, I agree with you martin we've got to almost start before we actually need the urgency to fill a job we need to say how would we advertise for this job should it ever become vacant if we're going to move this person on. And, and, you know, I just like your views on the Rooney rule, which was something that was brought into American football, which has had a positive impact, which dictated that any management position in American football had to have one or two black people interviewed for that role. And that's led to something like 30-odd percent, much more than there is normally in any industry in the States, 30-odd percent of people in management that are black. So do we need to go down that route? Do we need to be that positive? I think it depends on how you're doing. I think from one of your previous podcasts, Barry, just having one person of colour in the interview doesn't actually improve those chances. I think it's you, you said that there needs to be two or three in that process to actually make the percentage of the employment opportunities that much greater. So I think it's It is about going out and finding the time and finding the right people and and just keep talking to make sure that you're already creating those shortlists before you need that role. Because I think the challenge is if you don't, you just put names on there just to feel as if you're doing something and it's not really meant in the right way if you're not careful. Do you have a view on that sort of really rule type ideology for employment? Yeah, so I think, listen, that kind of rule will polarise opinions. And I'm really with Martin and you, Barrett, on a couple of things around that. So so I think, firstly, having a talent talent pool and actually having an active talent pool that you're nurturing is an incredibly positive way forward. And whether that's done at a company level or at an industry level, I think that's maybe something to look at. It makes sense. But the thing that really resonates is where you said, if we want to BDM, we ask for X, Y, and Z. So actually in that X, Y, and Z, more of it is about your previous experience as opposed to whether you are in a role that has a parallel skill set that could be transferable. And how often do we go out to those industries and look for people that we believe have the right skill set, if not the experience? Now, for me, that's where the barriers to entry start. 
And actually, that's what I mean about curiosity, because you start thinking differently about what it is you're looking for. You're looking for people with the ability to manage and cultivate relationships. You're looking with people with the ability to problem solve. You know, that you know what you're looking for. That doesn't mean that they need to come from X, Y, or Z over in another part of this industry. They could come from many others. And how often do we genuinely do that? And it's that thinking that I think starts to make a difference as opposed to just genuinely saying we need a quota percentage. There is equally the, the converse of that argument that says what gets measured gets done. But I'd like to see us get there without that necessarily being the lever we pull, but more about it's the right thing to do to develop a sustainable and future-proofed industry. I do have to agree with you. And we need to be quite quick about it, really, because when we had our session with David Olasago, one of the things he said was what gave him hope in terms of progressing towards a, a properly multicultural, multi-opportunity society was the young generation, because these are the millennials and after are not our people that are simply not going to put up with any kind of bias, conscious or unconscious, and they're measuring who they do business with, who they work with on a set of metrics in which diversity and inclusivity is very high up on it. So if we move on to Martin, Martin, I'd be quite interested to discuss because I know you have married a very, very lovely Sikh lady and have a mixed heritage daughter. Has doing that changed your perspective on how you see ethnicity and race? I think you're right. Uh, yeah, I have married a beautiful lady. It's probably made me more conscious than I was before. And I think initially pre-children, to start with, I was probably a bit more conscious when you were out and about of maybe what perceptions were of you as a, in effect, a mixed race couple. You may look at maybe different places that you wouldn't go to that you I may have done when I was single or previously married. So I think it does make you consider those things of that. And that's across both sides of the community as well, I think. But that just changed and you just got used to it, I think, and you just carry on and do your own thing. But I think it did very much bring it to the fore maybe than it was before. I'm sure everybody likes to feel that they do things in the right way but I'm sure you know I grew up in the late 1970s early 80s so I'm sure whatever I say there was unconscious bias within there of my way of life previously you know I, I like to think there wasn't as much growing up as a, a West Brom supporter and, and idolizing people like Sir Regis and Laurie Cunningham and players like that but there would be there I think it does definitely bring it closer to home and make you think about it more and I think taking that to the next stage now with my daughter while she's only six I still look at and think already about how she will progress in life and education and work life and, and the challenges and the barriers that potentially that she will come across you do think about that and and still sometimes the perception of how she she will be perceived or, or even sometimes how you are perceived as a family when you're out. It's quite interesting sometimes to watch reactions. My daughter's a mixed heritage too. And I've always quoted the, the microaggressions that they get, which is, where are you from? And they say, sorry. And then they go, no, but where are you really from? Where are your parents from? And they'll go, oh, Hereford and Manchester. And they will then turn around and say, what you want to know is why am I brown? That always sort of shuts people up quite quickly. So let's move on to fishing in new pools, because that sort of has come up a couple of times. So we tend to want to employ, irrespective of ethnicity and race, we want to employ graduates and we want to have them to have certain sort of qualities. That already means that we are missing out on a huge potential amount of talent that does not or does not want to go to university. 
especially nowadays, you know, people 17, 18 have a choice not to go to university. And if my daughters were 17 or 18, I'd tell them not to bother at the price it's going to cost and what, what they get out of it. Do you think we need to start showing up at schools and showing people that there's a career in our industry straight from school? Uh, listen, Barrett, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think the, the challenges of social mobility may, may be more prohibitive than we know. And we probably do need to do more work and thinking around that and how that genuinely plays out. But I go back to where you're recruiting for skills, your academic qualification may only be one. And is that the primary driver? So I think there are probably different ways of assessing that, which means that you do start to fish and, and look into different pools. And I think the reality is, is that the big wide world out there is made up of lots of people with lots of different backgrounds, different heritage, different legacy, different sorts, just different and if you don't see that difference with people you engage with, you're less likely to engage with them. So it's really interesting when we talk about kids not having a lower tolerance level to a lack of diversity. So I think everybody will start to vote with their feet if they don't see that level of difference within organizations. And I think increasingly corporates are beginning to have the conversations with each other, even during a tender process around what's your green ambition? What's your stated DNI strategy? What does it look like? And they will become deciding factors beyond just the it's morally just to treat everybody fairly. And I think if you're late to that and late to that thinking, I do think it could present future challenges. I know for a fact that some of the big American companies like Google, if they're having a meeting with their lawyers and that the team from the lawyers isn't one that includes a degree of diversity and inclusion, they just won't accept it. So it is beginning to happen at that senior level where major corporates, and I think there's a sort of responsibility on the big corporates to say, you know, at every level, if you're going to your accountants, if you're going to your solicitors, you want to see some sort of diversity there. And we should start doing that at various levels with, with the people we actually deal with. Martin, is there anything on the distribution side that we can do more of? Because I do feel that mortgage advice is not taken, certainly in the Asian community, as a profession. And the Asian community or the East Asian community and, and South Asian community sort of have an obsession about professions, doctors, dentists, barristers, lawyers, etc. And I do think that actually we are a colorblind industry on the advice side. And it's a fantastic potential career path and why haven't we got more advisors from ethnic backgrounds? I think that's a good question there, Barrett. And I think just going back to your initial question, though, is I don't know why we need to always say that we need graduates. I think we need to get away from that perception. I wasn't a graduate, never went to university. And to be fair, I think probably about 80% of my team didn't, but they all work very well. They're all progressing in their careers. So I think there's that part to start with. Then I think you have got to look, as you say, where you fish. And I think we do quite a bit locally with the local university. And I think we just started with the schools and, and the Huddersfield area where the head office is, is a very diverse area. So you are starting to bring in more people around the sort of administration and management side within a distributor. But that's a different matter to the actual advice side. And I take your point very much. So, And I think it is getting in very early and and you know, during that A-level process around what a career in financial services could be and trying to explain that these are careers and not just, as you say, solicitors, accountants, etc. You know, you've got mortgage advice, you've got surveying, you know, these are all areas that need qualifications that 
to provide good quality of living. And I think it is just that education process of what we do, because I don't think we do that. I, I, I think there's very few of us when you talk to anybody in the industry, unless your family within the industry, we didn't all aspire to, to work in mortgages when we were at school. Uh, a lot of us fell into it through various routes. So I think we need to get better at explaining exactly what we do. But I think we have a great opportunity at the moment as well with post-COVID world that location is, is not a barrier as it was. Maybe, you know, people aren't expected to sit in an office. So therefore, you're not fishing in 30, 40 an hour's area of where your office is now anymore. People can be located anywhere, which I think gives us all a great opportunity to start looking at different areas, different communities to talk to, to try and bring them into our industry. Listen, I think it's incredibly important, right? So I think school age is, is massive incredibly influential years so that you need to get to people or get to some of the kids as early as you can but I also think looking in different universities for example because I think sometimes even that in itself can be a barrier and that's why I think that personally I've done quite a lot of mentoring in schools and it never fails to amaze me how interested they are. They see me rocking up saying I work for Barclays, etc. I'm probably not the stereotypical image that they'd expect to see. And actually, I like that because it says, so can you. And I don't think that level of exposure, we're not all suddenly going to go rocking up into schools. I'm not suggesting that for a minute. But I think there is something about maybe an industry push looking at where we start to recruit and how. But to Martin's point, it is mortgage advice seen as a career is that, I don't know whether schools still do career counselling or anything, but is that a career that those institutions would even think of talking to children about? I don't know. I suspect not. So there is an on us to be out there talking about what we do and how we do it. And I think that for me is how it all starts because they're a different generation. They're very tech savvy. They're very fast paced. They're all about peers. So if you're not in there and seen as something or somebody that they'd aspire to be, why would they? And so I do think there's an on us to do that. You're absolutely right about the tech savvy things. I mean, I think we wrote a piece recently about some brokers that have got young people working for them that have started using TikTok as a means of lead gen. And that would just simply not be possible unless you have somebody who is tech savvy and sort of with it, with the way people are behaving now. It also brings you a different kind of inquiry, doesn't it? Rather than the traditional one, maybe younger and quicker and maybe happy to do everything on the internet, don't necessarily want to sit in front of somebody and that kind of thing. So I do agree that uh, we have to, as a matter of course, be more open to young people with different skill sets. Would you agree with that, Martin? Absolutely. I think when we look at our industry, again, we've got to try and stop putting it into little boxes and say we're we're a mortgage industry. We are, but within that mortgage industry, you've got lots of technology people. You've, You've got lots of different occupations within that industry and I think therefore we need to widen that out that that shows to people that there are so many different career avenues and opportunities if they come within the mortgage industry and not just giving mortgage advice and I think that's the bit as I said earlier we've not been very good at promoting ourselves within the schools and universities of what our industry actually offers and the opportunities there and how it's changing as well so again you know the fact that we are becoming more technology savvy eventually and and we're getting there i think we need to push that out more and more into the schools so that people who want to be within technology don't just think they have to go and you know work for uh, google or try and create an app or, or a video game there are other aspects to technology where they can have a very good career i'd just like to gauge both of yours opinions on 
So the occasional fear that some people have about talking about diversity and inclusivity and race and ethnicity, and there's this sort of growing concern about using the wrong phrase, saying the wrong words. And I feel that we need to, you know, as, a, as, a, as somebody who uh, comes from a, a, an Indian heritage, I feel like, you know, if somebody uses the wrong word to me, I should be able to correct them, but they shouldn't be scared of saying, oh, uh, can I ask you if you're Indian? Or, or is that a wrong, or is that the wrong thing to say? Do you think that one of the things that's stopping an open discussion about these things is some people don't know how to phrase it and don't know how to ask you what it feels like to be black, Sydney? I completely agree and understand that. And actually, I talked at the outset about reverse mentoring. And, and I, and sorry, it kind of rolls off the tongue, but maybe not everybody knows what that is. But that is where you have, say, your whoever it may be, being mentored by an ethnic colleague or whatever, a diverse colleague, whether that's race, gender, whatever it may be, and they're mentored. So it's almost a reverse relationship where they're gaining just as much from the person that they are in that relationship with as they could be potentially given. Now, that's just one example, in my view, of how you start to break that down. But do you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with people feeling uncomfortable about the conversation. But I genuinely believe unless you have that overt conversation, you're going to struggle to really start to break down those barriers. So I think what I always say is, and this is me personally, I always say that there is no wrong way of saying anything. There is no incorrect question if it's coming from a good place. If it's coming from a place of curiosity and a place of educating, of a, a place of wanting to educate yourself and wanting to do the right thing, I have no issue with it. And it's up to me to help you understand that it's okay for us to have that conversation because I would rather you had it out and overtly with me than not because that for me is the kind of active awareness and active allyship that makes a fundamental difference because I think the allyship agenda is just as big as the talent development, recruitment and progression agenda because they have to work in tandem. But you have to feel comfortable and I have to feel that there's a safe haven to actually have those conversations. A lot of corporates are developing that and developing a number of strategies to make that happen and make it comfortable in a way that it happens. But I don't think it's necessarily easy. But I do think, as you say, Barrett, it is about being able to have those conversations because they are difficult. We need to have them. And like I say, it needs to come from a good place. If you're going to say stuff that's overtly racist, then that's a no-brainer. But different people will react differently to different phrases and words, potentially. So actually, I think you could ask a number of people, for example, how they would want to be identified. They could all have a very different view. So ask them. But ask them in a way that makes it clear that you're curious because you actually want to get it right and not cause offence. And, I, you know, most rationally minded people, I believe, wouldn't have an issue with that. I think you're right. I think it's that bit of asking questions politely and it being obvious that you're showing an interest of trying to understand. Because I think sometimes, I think as Cindy said, it's, you can ask people how they wish to be addressed and that can be the minefield. We talked about mixed heritage earlier, but some people say mixed race and some people feel, well, which one's right? And feel that therefore they don't say anything because for the fear of actually using the wrong word that maybe was what people used to say but is now no longer the way that people are addressed and so it's just that confidence i think that they won't be chastised they might be corrected but they won't be chastised 
that's a very good point. In all honesty, I had to ask my own daughters how they wanted to be addressed. So I said, I'm going to mention you guys in a podcast. What do you want me to say? Do you want me to say mixed race or mixed heritage? And their answer was, we get more than just race from you and mum. You know, what we get is a two different cultures. And so they would much prefer mixed heritage from that perspective than mixed race. And so I actually asked my own daughters how they wanted to be addressed. And and I think you've got to be open to that. So, so many people want to find out about you and they don't know how to ask the first question. So what do they say? Are you Indian? Are you from the subcontinent? And actually, I think... Sydney, you're absolutely right. If it comes from the right place and it's curious, then I don't think there is a wrong way to ask it. Do you, do you, would you agree with that, Martin? I agree. I think it is. It's, it's back to that showing interest. You're prepared to listen and you're curious. I, I think why wouldn't somebody want to help you understand? The word that we've heard come up quite often from all of us is the word curious. So I think we need to get people to be curious about our industry. We need to make sure that we are employing and searching for curious people. And in, certainly when it comes to the mortgage industry and DNI, curiosity certainly didn't kill anything. So thank you, Sydney. Thank you, Martin. And we will see you again at our next podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible, make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.